Take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. We're continuing this message series simply called The Sermon on the Mount. And today I begin with a question. Have you ever had a visual exam? You know, when you look at the eye chart and you're trying to see those things that are on the wall in front of you, trying to read the letters back to the doctor. As you get a little older, this becomes a wake-up call, right? (laughs) Because you realize things aren't in focus quite as much as maybe they once were. Or, if you're as old as I am or older, you might remember the stereogram or the magic eye pictures. This was really big when I was in high school. You could stare at these conglomerate pictures and supposedly you could see something else the longer you began to look and it came into focus and like the picture you're looking at supposedly says hello in 3D. I never saw it but (laughs) I guess I just don't have that kind of focus. You see whether it's an eye chart or an eye picture there's an important truth that they illustrate. Your focus matters. Let's say that together. Your focus matters. Now, the greatest preacher who ever lived preached the greatest message that's ever been preached. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And he started by gathering with his disciples, just proclaiming these simple truths. He's just talked about three assumed disciplines in our faith. Giving and generosity, praying, and then fasting. In each of these, he's reminded us that our motive matters. And that's always an important reminder when we come together in a time like this. How and why we do what we're doing does make a difference. It's not okay just to show up and and check a box. Your motive matters. But now he's drawing our attention to even a greater truth. How you see the kingdom of Jesus impacts every area of your life. That's what I want you to walk away today, understanding. How you see the kingdom of Jesus will impact every area of your life. Look at the end of chapter 6, one of the more familiar verses in the Bible and more familiar phrases from Jesus. Verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Here's a simple truth. When the kingdom of Jesus has its rightful place in your life, everything else will fall into place in your life. (laughs) This is simple but profound. When the kingdom of Jesus has its rightful place in your life, everything else will fall into place in your life. I'm going to unpack that from the words of Jesus just before this sentence. But first, let's pray again. When I get to the conclusion of my prayer, I want us to pray together, if you know it, that model prayer that Jesus has just taught us in the Sermon on the Mount. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we have come and worshipped you. We've celebrated your work around the world. We've prayed that you would continue to be active in places that we may never go. 
But now we're asking you to meet us again here. We know you're here. We're not asking you to come. We're just asking that our eyes and our ears, our heart and our mind would see and receive what you've got in store. To give us what we need. To teach us what we've not yet learned. And you'd make us new even again today. Begin in me, Lord. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart in these moments please you, my strength, my redeemer. Lord, as every time when we gather, there are two purposes. We want those who know you, the saints, your word calls us to be edified, to grow. We want to walk out different. But Lord, there are others here that don't know you in that way. And we can't change that. We can't change them. But you can. So Holy Spirit of God, would you draw someone to you today? May this be the day of their salvation. And Lord, here in this place and even as we go, would you continue to teach us to pray just as you taught your disciples when you prayed. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen. I want you to look back up at verse 19 of Matthew chapter 6. We've just finished Jesus telling us to let go. And then he says this. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our lives are comprised both of the temporary and the eternal. Generally, those of us who meet together in places like this have already understood that reality. There is what we can have right now, what we can see and touch and feel, and, and that which we're believing in faith but we don't yet fully understand. Temporary things do what temporary things do. Whether it's our physical body or the clothes we wear or the household items that we use every day or the cars we drive, temporary things wear out. Why? Because they were designed to be temporary. They only last for a temporary amount of time. But temporary is not all there is. Inside the temporary things of this world, Jesus teaches us that eternal things are already at work. So in your life, in this physical body that we possess, in and around you, in all the temporary things that you use and that you touch, there's a bit of eternity at work. Yesterday, I had the privilege of seeing a play in Lakeland. It's a play about the writings of C.S. Lewis. It was called Further Up and Further In. It comes from something said by Aslan 
in the book, The Last Battle. It's actually a phrase that C.S. Lewis uses consistently throughout that book. But listen to a couple of the quotes. I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. Come further up. Come further in. Or this quote. The further up and the further in you go, the bigger everything gets. The inside is larger than the outside. C.S. Lewis in his writing was trying to help us understand that we are on a journey. And that journey will take us to a place that is greater than this, that is no longer temporary, that's bigger and better as Christ's follower. We call that reality heaven. Aren't you thankful that you can look to heaven as your home? Aren't you thankful that this world is not all there is? We think of heaven as the land of the no mores, right? Revelation 21.4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death. Say no more. There will be no more mourning or crying or pain, for the older things have passed away. The kingdom of heaven where God rules and he reigns uncontested, where everything is like God intends, and where there's no more moth, no more rust, no more thieves. Jesus was saying, be careful where you place your focus, because if your focus is on these temporary things, you will always end up unsatisfied. But if your focus is on the kingdom of heaven, you will find yourself drawn further up and further in. In other words, live with eternity in mind. It's especially important when it comes to these temporary things. And Jesus tells us why in that last phrase. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus often talks about the heart. In the Greek, it's that word cardia. It, it speaks not just to that physical organ in your body, but the center, the core of who you are. Your heart, according to Scripture, is who you are. And here's the crazy thing. I can't see your heart. I, I see the fruit of your heart. I see, as Scripture teaches us, the outpouring of your heart. Because the Bible says the wisest person apart from Jesus who ever lived, Solomon, said, hey, when you speak, you're really speaking that which is coming out of the heart. Jesus repeated that, right? So I can see that, but I can't know your heart. That's why Jesus says in what's known as the greatest commandment, you're to love the Lord your God with all your what? all your heart, with everything you are, with your center, with your core. Why? Because your core, your center, determines the direction of your life. There's a phrase that I love that I, I think we often forget. It's your direction, not your intention, that determines your destination. Let me say that again, because I would be writing that down if I were you. It's your direction, 
not your intention that determines your destination. Have you ever had that play out in real life? Maybe just when you started going the wrong way in your car, (laughs) you didn't realize it. You were trying to get to another place. You intended to go to a different destination. But because you'd made a wrong turn, it was the direction you were headed that was determining where you're going. And there are people, I've seen it all my life, they intend to do things that honor God. They intend to make choices that are pleasing to Him, but they don't give Him the core, the center of their lives. And so their direction is messed up. Here again, the words of Jesus, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus was saying, where your money goes, your heart flows. Just think of that. Where you're spending and how you're focusing on these temporary things in life really are an indication to where your heart is in life. He he doesn't say that you've got a good heart and, and just try to do your best. He's saying, no, where you're focusing, where you're spending your energy, even if it's on these temporary things, that will mean that your heart, your core, your existence is focused on the temporary, not the eternal. In this book, You Are What You Love, James Smith writes, Your deepest desire is the one manifested by your daily life and habits. It's because our action, our doing, bubbles up from our loves, which as we observed are habits we've acquired through the practices we're immersed in. That means the formation of my loves and desires can be happening under the hood of consciousness. So I want to ask you, just before we continue in this chapter, what has your heart? If your heart is the center, if the the heart is your core, what has the affections of your heart? Could it be that it's good things that are not the main thing? Could it be that your heart is controlled by a career that's not bad, but doesn't have the rightful place in your life? Could it be that your heart is controlled by your family, which is wonderful, but should not take priority over the kingdom of Jesus? Could it be that your heart is focused on these temporary things that are one day going to leave you one way or another? How does your heart illustrate the affections of your life? But then Jesus continues. He said, it's not just the heart, it's also the eye. Listen to what it says in verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Are are your eyes good? This is especially sensitive to our family. Our daughter was born with a condition that, that causes her to have no sight. She was born blind. There's no light in her eyes. 
there's light that comes out from her heart. If you've ever met her, met her, she's the joy of any room. But there's no light in her eyes. She can't see like most of us. And so as I read through this passage again, it, it began to make me think. What does that mean, Jesus? The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, the whole body will be full of light. I think again, Jesus was talking about focus. The focus of your eyes fuels the journey of your life. Remember, we're headed toward a destination. What you're focusing on, that's going to be the direction that determines the destination. And the focus of your eyes is what's fueling that journey. If you've traveled around the world, you know a lot of the world is focused on this little image that some would call the all-seeing eye, or some people call it the evil eye. I'm not going to show you that image. You could Google it. Some think of it as good luck. Others think of it as demonic. All I know is it's an image that I really don't want hanging around my life. But much of the world will hang this from a rearview mirror or hang this in their home. And it does speak to an understanding that Jesus was even trying to convey. There's something about the focus of the eye. What are your eyes focused on? Just think for a moment what a lot of us, particularly younger individuals, do on a regular basis. At the best, you may do it at the end of the day. You take out your phone, that iPad or computer, and you begin to scroll through social media. And then you begin to see what other people are doing. And at first it looks good. Someone in your little circle of influence has had a child and you're so happy for them. Somebody else got married and boy, that's exciting. Someone's grieving and you're sad for them. But as you continue to scroll, you begin to see somebody got a new car. Not quite as happy. Somebody looks like they could be walking on the red carpet. And you begin to think, I, I don't really look like that. You forget in that moment that social media is filled with people who might take 50 different pictures and then spend about 50 minutes going through those pictures deciding which one they're going to show the world that may not be a representation of what's really going on in their life. But for you, it's all about comparison. Your eye has begun to be focused on their lives. And I, I would warn you that Comparison is always going to get us off track. There's only two options when you're comparing yourself to someone else. And both are bad. It's either going to lead you to a superiority complex, because you're going to say, man, I got it so much better than them. Or it's going to lead you to an inferiority complex. And you begin to think, if I could only be like them focus of the eye. But I get it. Some of you are not on social media, so let me see if I can illustrate it in another way. How many of you have ever been out to sea on a boat or a ship? Let me see your hands just so I know who I'm talking to. Wow, oh, we live in Florida. That's most of us. If you've been out into the deep sea, maybe you can relate to what Kimberly and I did once just off of the coast of Monterey, California. We went on a supposed 
whale watching cruise. We never saw a whale. I tell you what I did see. I saw the ocean because I was hanging over the back of the boat. I mean, I was miserably sick. We were there just celebrating our love, how much we love one another. And my sweet sweet wife, who was not sick, I don't know how she did it because I don't think I could do it. It would have made me sick. But she was just standing there rubbing my back, saying, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I wasn't alone. About half the boat was hanging out the back of the boat, not looking for whales, just looking for mercy. But I've learned something through the years, because I've gotten on other boats, on other ships. I've learned that when you get that sensation, those who travel the sea more regularly than I do would tell you, look to the land. Why? Because the land is fixed. The land's not moving. If there's an island in front of you or if the shore is out there, look to something that's not moving. It gives you a sense of stability. Do you see what Jesus is trying to say? When your eyes are focused on what they should be focused on, you have a sense of stability and security in your life that gives you the ability to think, I'm going to make it through this. But when your eyes are out of focus, you're in trouble. Now, why is this so important? Jesus goes on to tell us. Continue in verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus, again, gets to the heart of the issue, making an assumption. What's the assumption in this verse? You're going to have a master. You're not the ruler of your own faith. You're going to be governed by something or someone. But you can only serve one master. And you can only satisfy one master. Some of your translations, instead of money there, it it has the word mammon. The King James has that. You cannot serve both God and mammon. What is that? Well, it really meant money. But specifically, it, it meant something into which one put their confidence. So the reason it works so good for us is we put a lot of confidence in money. If you don't believe you do, just let your source of income dry up for a few days or weeks or months. See how that makes you feel. See what it does to your emotional and spiritual health. He doesn't say you can't have money. In fact, money is beneficial. Money is used around the world to fuel the work of God's kingdom. He doesn't say you can't have money. He he says you can't serve money and serve him. He's saying in my kingdom, in God's kingdom. Remember, this is a kingdom issue. Are, Are you focused on the kingdom of Jesus? He's saying in my kingdom, money is a tool, not a trophy. How about your life? You see, what I've, I've just come to really believe, a lot of good people, I can't know if a person's a Christ follower or not, but they're good people who make a lot of good decisions, profess to follow Jesus, 
but really seem to be building their kingdoms because their life is full of their trophies. They're not using what God's given them to be a tool in His kingdom. The next words of Jesus begin with that phrase, therefore. <laughs> and you've, under, you've heard this hundreds of times. When you see therefore in the Bible, you ask, what is that therefore? Really, when you see that in the English language in any way. So what is it there for? Well, we're about two-thirds of the way through this masterful sermon. Jesus is preaching it all the way through. He began with the Beatitudes. He was saying, you were designed to have a blessed life. And then he says, you're designed to be salt and light. You're designed to be different makers and to have a special calling where you live and work and play. And then he says, you're designed to be different from the world. Because he's, he says, you've heard it said this, but I'm telling you, raise the standard. Say, raise the standard. Jesus is always raising the standard. You've heard this, but I'm saying this. You're designed to be different. Then he gets into chapter 6 and he says, you're designed to be generous. I'm assuming you're giving, but are you giving generously? And then he says, you're designed to have the power that can come only through prayer. And, he, and so he makes sure that we know how to pray. And then he says, you're designed to let go. And he talks about how we let go through forgiveness and fasting. And then he says, therefore, I'm telling you, don't worry about your life. What you eat or drink or about your body or what you wear is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you, of little faith. So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Let me see if I can sum this up. We live in a world consumed by worry. But as Christ followers, we're part of a kingdom whose king is who? King Jesus. And so Jesus was saying in this sermon, if King Jesus is ruler of all, what do we really have to worry about? Now, I, I know on the outset, that may seem like I'm oversimplifying that. I'm going to illustrate it. But Jesus is saying, if I am the king of all that is, if you're part of God's kingdom, if your destination is the kingdom of heaven, what do you really have to worry about on this side of heaven? At the center of our being is a throne. The heart, at the center of your heart is a throne. And someone or something is sitting on the throne of your heart. 
And if Jesus is enthroned in your heart, then there's nothing worth worrying about. But whatever is sitting on that throne is determining the direction, the destination, and giving you the fuel for the journey. So what's on the throne of your life today? Who's on the throne of your life today? I've preached the end of this chapter so many times dealing with worry. Worry is a continuing. It kind of starts with fear. And fear is fear of something. And all of us have some fears. You fear blank. You, you fear something in fact, let's, let's do an exercise right now. I'm going to count to three, and we're going to be bold. You're going to pretend uh, I'm your counselor just for this moment, then I'm going to resign. And uh, you're going to tell me what you're afraid of. Most of us have some kind of fears. So uh, you tell us what you're afraid of when I count to three. One, say it out loud. One, two, three. <laughs> Did you say my wife? Oh, my goodness, Ray Rod. Well, I think I heard spiders. I think I heard heights. They say one of the biggest fears is that fear of public speaking. I'm trembling up here. You know, what are you afraid of? Fear begins with something. But then fear is part of a continuum that leads to worry. And worry really is not about the same thing as fear. Because we fear something that in our mind is tangible. Worry... Is about something in the future. We worry about something or someone. And that can lead to anxiety. And anxiety is just a constant state of worry. And all of these take place when our life gets out of focus. We can have a legitimate concern for our responsibilities and the circumstances of life. Concern's not the same as worry. You can be concerned and still be placing your hope in God at the same time. But you cannot have worry and anxiety and have hope in God at the same time. Worry is never right or appropriate. Scripture makes that clear. It calls it sinful. It's always rooted in a lack of faith. Worry and anxiety are always fighting against faith and hope and trust and love. Worry and anxiety says something about our faith. It tells us that we're struggling to trust God and that we have little confidence in Him. My friend and our pastor, Pastor Nick, just gave me some of these thoughts about worry from, from his experience as a biblical counselor. He says anxiety is a condition of the heart that leads to many other sins. Anxiety about finances can lead to coveting and hoarding and stealing. Anxiety about relationships can lead to being withdrawn and uncaring. Anxiety about grades can lead to cheating. Anxiety about how someone would respond could lead to telling a lie. Anxiety is related to many other sins. John Piper puts it this way. If, if anxiety could be struck a mortal blow would be delivered to many other sins. So I'm going to point you to the solution in a minute, but let me just remind you of what worry and anxiety can do in our lives. It draws our focus away from God. It makes us ineffective in what we're doing. It keeps us from being obedient. It causes us to be self-focused. It leads us to bad and destructive habits. 
It steals joy for living. It zaps our energy. And it can cause physical problems. And yet, psychologists tell us that 31% of adults experience some type of what is called an anxiety disorder at some point in their life. So what do you do? Okay? First, don't be ashamed. That, that means there's a lot of us in the room, maybe some of us even right now, just my talking about it is, is making it different. Let me just walk through some basic things and then tell you what Jesus said. At first, just make sure you're spending time with Jesus. If he should be the focus, he's going to be the answer. Second, we always want to make sure we confess any known sin in our life. Sin can cause us to live in worry, anxiety, and even spark depression. Make sure you're confessing any known sin. Study the Word of God. Many of life's answers are found straight in the pages of Scripture. Don't ignore the Scriptures. Seek wise biblical counsel. God has put people around you that can help you walk through these difficult moments of life. And then if necessary... Be open to additional help. It may be that you need medical help or that you need more intense therapy. Don't be ashamed of that. But now listen to what Jesus says. Don't worry about what you eat. Don't worry about what you drink. Don't worry about what you wear. And then what does he say? Look up. Look up. See, worry often comes from an identity issue. You've forgotten who you are. You're confused about your identity. Jesus is saying, look up and remember who you are. You see those birds? God created those birds. But not like he created you. We have no indication he created those birds in the image of God. We have no indication that God put on a beak and some feathers and some wings and became a bird so that they might know the love of God. We have no indication that God died for those birds. There's certainly no description of God saying, I'm being raised from the dead so that these birds can have forgiveness and live forever. And he didn't say to the birds, I'm coming back. And just to be clear, I'm not aware of any bird Bible that shows them the way. Jesus was saying, all you've got to do is to look up to remember your value to me. You are everything to me. He says that. If you've got a red letter Bible, it's in red letters. Are you not much more valuable than they? You are valuable to God. You matter. He's got this. So I would just ask you, are you trusting him? Are you trusting him today? 
Remember what we said at the beginning of the message, when the kingdom of Jesus has its rightful place in your life, everything else will fall into place in your life. It's not saying make Jesus a priority. He doesn't want to be the priority. It's not saying make him prominent. Go to church somewhat regularly. He doesn't want to be prominent. He is preeminent and he wants you to acknowledge that. That is simply his rightful place. He's saying, put me where I'm supposed to be in your life to match where I am in reality. If you're a Christ follower, what I'm asking you to do is what we call one of the primary mission measures of our church. You're going to learn these. You're going to know these. This is what we expect of every member. We're asking you to be a praying friend and a bold messenger and a hope deliverer and an intentional developer. And we're asking you to be a practicing follower. Are you practicing what you say you believe? Are you practicing what Jesus tells us to do? If I could sum up the words of Jesus in this passage, I would give you two statements. Number one, you can trust God with the stuff in your life. Did you hear that? Think about all your stuff. You can trust God with that. Number two, you can trust God with the stress in your life. That's why my favorite verses in the Old Testament are from Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And that's what Jesus is saying at the end of this passage. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I'm going to ask my friend Ron Bradford to come up here. Now get ready, Ron, because I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm going to maybe make you a little uncomfortable, but just, you trust me, right? Give Ron a hand as he comes on up here. Ron, you can take this microphone. Let's step up here. Ron is our chairman of deacons. He's a faithful prayer partner with me. He serves in so many ways in our church. What a gift. Um, But Ron, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to reach into your pocket. And I want you to give me whatever you find. Give it to me. You willing to do that? Yes, sir. All right. Yes. Okay. Let me see what you got. This could be interesting. Right? Let me see what you got. Oh, Ron. Ron, Ron. Let's see. Let me hold that up. Ron, what is this that you had in your pocket? It's a $100 bill. Wow. That's a C note. That's a Benjamin Franklin. Some of you want to just come up and touch this, don't you? Like, wow. That's nice. Ron, thank you, brother. I appreciate that. Man. Thanks, Ron. You're welcome. Yeah. But now here's the deal, though. Was that hard for you to do? No, it wasn't. Really? Does that surprise you guys? Why was that not hard, Ron? Because you gave it to me. Oh, Oh, man. 
Yeah, that's the deal. So this was not yours, huh? Unfortunately. Okay, go sit down, Ron. Give me that mic. <laughs> Say, Ron, thank you. Thank you, Ron. You see what I'm saying? When you understand that King Jesus is in charge and everything that touches your life, the Bible says this, comes down, anything good comes down from the Father of lights. And all you got to do is just trust him in a daily way. Or, as I grew up singing in church, have faith in God when your pathway is lonely. He sees and knows all the way you have trod. Never alone are the least of his children. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. He's on his throne. Have faith in God. He watches o'er his own. He cannot fail. He must prevail. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Let's bow our heads together. Oh, dear Christ follower. So many of us who gathered here, we follow Jesus Christ. We know we're going to spend eternity with him in heaven. And just make sure the center of your existence, your core, your heart, has yielded control to Jesus. Make sure you're headed in that right direction. Make sure you're focused on those right things. It may be as we end in a moment and we respond by singing, you want to just come and pray. And maybe you want to take the hand of one of these pastors. Or if you're a lady, let us connect you with a, a female prayer partner. And just pray and ask God just to, in this moment, Hear your sense of recommitment to trust him on the throne of your life. But somebody's hearing these words and you've never begun a relationship with Jesus Christ. Oh, you're missing out, friend. But here's the good news. God does love you. You are valuable to him. So much so that he demonstrated his love by sending his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross from the, for the sins that separate you from him. And all he asks that you do is confess that he's the king, that he's the Lord. And surrender that throne of your life to him. When you do that, the Bible teaches us that he comes into your life. He takes control. And he never leaves you. You need to take that step. You don't need a pastor or a priest to pray with you. You can cry out to God on your own right where you are. But just in case you're struggling with words today, maybe you'd pray this. Just you and God. Just say, Jesus, I know I need you. I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness and hope. You died for my sin. And you're alive today. So I'm trusting you to change me. Come into my life. Take your rightful place on my throne. Thank you, Jesus. Our heads are bowed. Just a moment, I'm going to close this time in prayer. We're going to respond through singing and praying, eventually through giving. You just prayed that prayer with me. Like I said, the pastors and myself will be standing here at the front. I would love for you to come and take one of our hands and just say, I just prayed that prayer. Jesus is now on the throne of my life. Father, may that be what takes place 
for our good and your glory. King Jesus, take the rightful place in our lives. We ask this in your name. Amen. Would you stand together with us? Would you respond by singing, by coming, by praying, however God's leading you, you come.